Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show this morning. We have been talking about uh, politics or the Christians' involvement in politics. We started this short series a couple of days ago. We've been answering some objections that, that some Christians have about even being involved in politics. Um and today, uh, we kind of just want to look, look at history. Uh, how have Christians influenced governments positively throughout history? What's what's been the role, you know, since the beginning of the church, and and even in the Old Testament? How, how has God's people influenced politics positively throughout history? Well, the two that we've been talking about, there's several that we've been talking about just from the Word of God. So that's part of church history. Um, so whether that's Joseph, whether that's Daniel and their roles and helping in the societies of the past, whether you um, look at even um, some within the New Testament. We were talking about all these people that um, were called out of darkness into light, centurions, um, Erastus from a city treasurer. So you've, you've got all these people that were involved um in politics in one way or another. Um, I think one of the modern, more modern examples is William Wilberforce of, mm-hmm. of Great Britain, um, mm-hmm. his tireless um, campaigning against uh, the slave trade and, mm-hmm. and all that he did in that realm. Um, so I think you've got wonderful examples, both church history as, as far as biblical history or modern day. Yeah, I think... I think back to uh, John Knox, uh, Queen Mary, the Bloody Mary, um, is said to have said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Mm-hmm. And it shows the power of a, of somebody who believed the gospel, proclaimed the gospel, and and didn't fear men uh, in doing so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that quote. I'm, I'm going to call out the historian, though, for a second. Really? You're going you're to take the lowest hanging fruit? We asked you a question about history, and you're going to take the lowest hanging fruit possible on this question? That's all you got? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if you take one not a little closer to where we are, I, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yes. um, the work that he did in 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 Nazi Germany prior to and during World War II. Um, here you have a committed um, child of God um, working in the midst of, of just immense um, darkness. Yeah. Um, I think you just have prophetic voices. I think Francis Schaeffer yeah. um, continually spoke about um, mm-hmm. really the, the concerns that he have with regard to government. I mean, it's interesting yeah. that he was so prophetic. Uh, his major concern with with the United he's that thought that the number one issue facing the United States, the ch- the number one issue facing the Church of the United States, was statism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
that's incredible. Yeah. Um, because I, I think he was, <laughs> I think he he was correct. And if you look when he said that, which yeah. would have been late seventies, early eighties, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how much the role of the government has increased in the lives of people since that time period. Yeah. Um, well, well he, he was, you there, know what's interesting about that comment? Um, I think a lot of people. So coming into educating myself about politics, it's easy to think that statism is just kind of one flavor. Mm-hmm. that you can choose among the, the Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors. Uh, but the truth is, is that it, it's just another variation of the first commandment. Uh, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Statism is just the idea that the state is God. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us worship gods. The question is, is which God do we worship? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was better. Good job. <laughs> so listen to this. Uh, historian Alvin uh, Schmid uh, points out how the spread of Christianity and Christian influence on government was primarily responsible for, listen to this list of things, outlawing infanticide, child abandonment and abortion in the Roman Empire in AD 374, outlawing the brutal battles to the death in which thousands of gladiators had died in 404 AD, outlawing the cruel punishment of branding the faces of criminals in 315, instituting prison reforms such as segregating male and female prisoners by 361, stopping the practice of human sacrifice among the Irish, the Prussians, the Lithuanians, as well as many other nations, outlawing pedophilia, granting of property rights and other protections to women, banning polygamy, prohibiting the burning alive of widows in India in 1829, outlawing the painful and and crippling practice of binding young women's feet in China in 1912, persuading government officials to begin a system of public schools in Germany in the 16th century, and advancing the idea of compulsory education of all children in a number of European countries. So you look back at the history of Christian involvement, and that's just a short list. And it's been uh, massive. Yeah, and yeah, you can even look even in our own nation, and just about every hospital is named after you know has a reference to Christianity, whether it's a Saint Luke's or Saint Alphonsus, or in our own city, um, it the the roots of Christian involvement uh, within their community has has borne fruit in the hospitals. Even I think that one of the things that you know, when you go through that list, it's not simply that they were, you know, the question came up during the week, uh, you know, about, you know, do we do evangelism or do we do politics? I think that when you go through that list, you realize that evangelism was taking place. The proclamation of the gospel yeah. was taking place. The transformation of the lives were taking place. It was easy to make these changes, you know, of, uh, you know, that you went through this wonderful list of, of how society had changed. Those changes were the natural changes when the light of God's word began to be uh, transforming in individuals' hearts yeah. so that um, you know people were awakened to their own sinful condition. Wh- whether or not they actually believed or not, yeah. they, you know, they, were, they recognized these things were wrong. Well, these are ways of loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Who, who is my neighbor? Uh, well, my neighbor is is that person that I have the opportunity to do good to in this moment, that I have the, the resources to do it. As citizens of a particular nation, my citizens are my neighbor. And if I can help love them through the political process, then God's law in one sense requires me to do that. 
I mentioned John Knox earlier. He was a he was a you know he was a man of great uh, courage and become a pastor. Uh, actually, at first he was just a bodyguard for uh, another pastor. As this man went around preaching the gospel, and after that man's uh, death uh, and martyrdom. Uh, People came to John Knox and asked him to to pastor. But when John Knox died, um, somebody said over his grave, here lies a man who neither flattered nor feared any flesh. And his legacy, um, somebody said his his spiritual progeny includes some 750,000 Presbyterians in Scotland and and 3 million in the United States and many more worldwide. So. Uh, through the proclamation of the gospel, through the influence of Christianity, uh, that that spread all over. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> after teaching history for so many so many years, I shouldn't be surprised, but um, I am surprised at how little we know of church history. And so, when we talk about the Protestant Reformation, um, people talk about the the solas of the of the the Reformation, the theological um, side of what happened as a result of the the work of of Luther or or Bullinger or Calvin or or Melanchthon or or all the rest. Um, But what they fail to understand and remember is how transformative the Reformation was, not just theologically, but how that it absolutely transformed the entire culture Mm -hmm. and and of, of Europe. Um, it's it's the Reformation that brought about educational reforms. It's it's the Reformation that brought about reforms of family life. It's the Reformation that brought about um, transformation of of politics and schooling and medicine and Locations. prison reform. I, I say the Reformation. It, it it was the rediscovery of the gospel. Yeah. of the Reformation that transformed society. Now yeah. that is not just hyperbole by uh, one that is is it's not Calvinistic. Just, it's That's, not just ancient history either. I grew up in a I grew up in a denomination where missions was a really important part of deno- of, the, of everything we did. You know, we had a missions conference every year. We heard from missionaries. You know, uh, people went to Erie and Jaya, and you know they're in the they're in. Um, a place where cannibalism was practiced, mm. and uh, they said, "I can still remember the missionary saying, you know, when uh, they would play uh, a game, like even like a volleyball thing. You know, it was not, um, you know, you know, one to whatever. It was you owe us one, you know, because retaliation was the whole thing. You know, you were, you know, if they got down, you owe me one, mm-hmm. and and that was all about this retaliation mindset that was ingrained in their culture, and so, uh, you know, it was the it was the missions that ch- and the gospel that changed people from uh, cannibalistic, from shrinking heads, from doing all these other things, yeah. um, to realizing the sanctity of all life. Yeah, mm, that's yeah. radical. I remember when I um, came to the church that I that I serve at now, coming out of a very um, non-reformed, seeker-sensitive view, and I remember hearing the pastor at the time talk about uh, preaching the gospel to your children, and I thought that was the weirdest thing I ever heard. So, so I'm just. You know, especially when you discipline them, right? So, so I should just like throw John three sixteen at my children when I'm giving them a spanking, essentially. And it took a little 
you know, fleshing that out. And it's like, no, no, no. You're explaining to them how they have, have broke God's law and how they stand guilty before him. Um, and that, you know, praying for their repentance, but showing them that there is um, reconciliation um, f- to God through Jesus Christ and that he's given us his word and his law so that we could order our lives after him. And that was, I mean, that that was so revolutionary yeah. to me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Yeah, that I, was the gospel. <laughs> and and that, little, that little truth is, is really applied like to what you're saying, Jonathan, to all of life, to how we are we going to retaliate to the the clan next door? Um, how am I going to do this business? How am I going to buy this car from this person? Am I going to or sell this car? Am I going to lie about how how well it actually performs, or am I going to you know tell them the truth? I mean, it, it actually affects every single part of our life. Well, I you know you bring up cars. I, I actually was a car salesman at one time. You know, I knew that I didn't trust you for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, preachers actually had a a, a lower standard and some a lower standing among some people than car salesmen. But I can still remember being asked about the the uh, you know, quality of the car, and I, I said, "Well, you know, they all have total depravity built into them. They've all been built by people who are themselves." Uh, sinners who, you know, so there's imperfection. So, yeah. you know, it actually, you know, this even guided me in selling, you know, you know, the car. I had to present a value uh, that was not, you know, I I couldn't hype it. Um, I would talk to people, find out what they, what they needed and try to find what fit for them. Yeah. I didn't want to abuse that, that stewardship that I'd been given. Yeah. I ended up... You know, yeah, I you know you go to this uh, the the manager and he would he would say you're making me a better person because he'd tell you here's what you should say and I I could look him in the eye and he'd say oh well go say this you I know what you I know you're not going to say that so just go say this. I think at the end of the day, what we should do is like in October as a family, <clears throat> we go back and and read um, for our family devotions things from church history. Mm-hmm. Um, men and women that God has raised up at certain moments in time and God has used in a transformative way in the, the cultures that they live in. And the desire is, as we read these to our children, to say, are, are you such as one, uh, one of this that God is going to raise up for a purpose within the realm that you are being called to? And I think we need to continue to pray that God would have an influence in, in culture by men and women, boys and girls that he's called to himself. Amen. We'll see you next time. 